Good afternoon. This is author Brian Niemeyer, brianniemeyer.com, author of The Soul Cycle. With me, Kev Merkin, author of the new science fiction novel, The Greater Duty. Today, to discuss writing non-human characters. This is a subject that I think has lots of merit, is highly relevant, especially during this week, which is Space Opera Week. But it seems to be an underserved subject. You don't actually have this. So that's why we're glad to have Yakov here. Write non-human characters in your stories. And hopefully you'll take some applicable advice from this episode. So I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Yakov. Yakov, thanks for coming. How are you this afternoon? Thanks for having me again, sort of. I mean, I was on Geek App Prime mm -hmm. previously. Um, but now it's more fun because I get to have something to promote. Because my book just came out literally a couple of days ago. So it's been, fun, been a fun weekend. Of course, Space Opera Week happened at a perfect time for me. So I guess thank you to Tor.com for unwittingly giving me a really good reason to promote myself even more. <laughs> and we must always remember to thank them for their... Even, even though they banned me, I think. Effort for dropping the ball so we can pick it up. You're the, the pull prev. So do you have an elevator pitch for your book? Uh, I do. I'm so I'm still fine tuning this whole pitching thing, but uh, um, yeah. So like, uh, a warrior struggles to prevent the collapse of a civilization he swore to protect. A, a young Grand Admiral seeks vengeance. An emotionless conqueror faces a crisis of conscience, and the fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance. So I mean, a greater duty is uh, a space opera that I guess. In a lot of ways, encompasses the stuff. I mean, really encompasses what I've loved about science fiction, and stuff that I grew up with. Again, as we I mentioned online, also a lot of non-human characters are the focus of this. Like, I have literally no human characters in the book because I decided I'm creating my own universe. Uh, I should create my own species anyway. And uh, and over on uh, Superversive, uh, my my awesome editor who. I think you know uh, Ben Zwitsky. I think I pronounced it right or close enough. Um, he also uh, posted some some good stuff on there about this. Uh, it has a crumbling, uh, crumbling, corrupt and crumbling Galactic Republic, the ancient grievances flaring up into new bloodshed, and a grave new threat uh, to the old order. An easy alliance based on a lie, a seemingly impossible quest for vengeance, and an equally unlikely search for redemption. Outstanding. So there's a lot, there's a lot, lot going on, both because I'm basically launching a, gal a galactic setting with this book, but also just because I like large-scale stories. And so that's what, I, that's what I've written here. Yeah, I mean, every, what you've just given us, a little taste you've given us, is already packed with conflict, and character and world building. The the latter of which I, I know is not easy. It's very time consuming. So you've clearly yeah. put a lot of work into this. Yeah, like I've, I, I was as I was writing up a glossary, put it at the end just because 
it also helps me to write it up. I was realizing there's a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> I'm also loving the cover of the book, which uh, folks can see in your avatar image here by uh, the great artist John Zelesny, famous from Rifts and Magic the Gathering. Yeah, it was a lot of fun working with him. Yeah, we'll have to have you back for our How to Find a Good Cover Artist episode, which is planned. But the topic today is how to write non-human characters. Now, you'd written a popular essay that is making the rounds on your blog yeah. about that subject, So, uh, which we've also linked to in the show notes if folks want to read it, which I recommend. So how do you write non-human characters? Let's just jump in. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I was just looking at when I posted that. I can't believe it's been almost four years already. Uh, over four no. years. Uh, no, so I mean, it's just non-human characters, at least for me, is that something, it's something that it kind of, when I was starting to write science fiction, is like, that was the obvious thing for me to do, which was, which I guess is, uh, shows how much I knew when I started writing, because apparently it's, I was talking to John De La Rose yesterday, and he was talking about how he's, he was told by like even editors at Bain that it's basically mandated that you don't have a humanoid alien like, viewpoint characters. Like, it's just something you don't do, which is which is actually very, surprised, very surprising to me. Um, but I mean, basically, I, I, I was rereading my own article just to remember what I actually said three years ago, four years ago. I mean, it really basically comes down to a few major points for writing them. It's really just making them actually alien, whether that's physical or psychological or combination of both. And also, especially if they're viewpoint characters, you also have to balance them. It's obviously a fine line a lot of the time with making them relatable and making them like, if they're your viewpoint characters, you have to be able to identify with them and like them. And then, and the last thing is just, I guess, avoiding a problem that I've seen a lot, especially on, I guess, probably science fiction TV shows like uh, Star Trek more than Star Wars, but it's also, or movies, but it's also a thing in Star Wars and other, and I guess, Mass Effect and things like that also, where I'm very one note. And it's like, and they basically become like every one of the species is the exact same way, which... I mean, I don't like using the term realism, but from this the point of view of creating an actual civilization, even in a situa situation where there's a galactic setting and you have other species to compete with, there's still going to be divisions, still going to be differences in individuals. So you have to bear that in mind also. Right. It's like the old Star Trek cliche of, well, we're just going to take a guy and staple a paper plate to his head and call him an alien. Yeah, and then they all, they all act the same way. They have their one, the one thing they care about, and that's that's all their that's their, their whole shtick. Right, like where, where are the Klingon engineers? Where are the Klingon philosophers? Yeah, you know the Ferengi artists, but yeah. <laughs> Although I think uh, Deep Space Nine helped to salvage the the Ferengi a little bit, who were originally these caricatures. Yeah. Where uh, there's an episode where Cisco and Quark are having a discussion and Cisco starts hitting on Frankie and Quark serves him a nice tall glass of shut the hell up when he says, look, yeah, I mean, we might be greedy. We, we might be uh, everistic, but we never enslaved our own species. We never carried out a genocide like humans did. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think as Star Trek went along with more series, they 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 did to their credit flesh out most of the uh, most of their alien species, like even like the Cardassians in Deep Space Nine. They did a lot with them. Uh, Klingons obviously got a lot of attention from through right. all the series. So, but and in the I guess you could, I guess you could um, see with the original series, part of that was budget, like limited uh, resources to get things done, but. But these Space Nine in a lot of ways is definitely my second favorite, if not my favorite, of the Star Trek, just because they went into so many areas, both with the aliens and with other stuff that other series didn't get to go and really fleshed out the universe a lot more. So, on that note, can you describe one non-human species from your book and how they fit these criteria you talked about, how they differ psychologically and or physically from humans, but how they're still individuated. Yeah, I mean, just think about which ones are the most uh, relevant or most, I guess, best example. Um, yeah, just pick one, your favorite. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess the best example off the top of my head would probably be uh, the Tyrannodonts, which of which one of them is, is a viewpoint character. And as we see, this is not. This shouldn't be a spoiler. Cause I think it's it's early in the book. This stuff is is discussed that they were basically, I guess the term is, I guess they're uplifted species that had been like a low level life form, thousands or more than hundred thousands or more years pre previously, and then another more advanced alien species had basically saved them from extinction and basically uplifted about a, a thousand of them, and then basically create left them in these. Like genetic, genetic engineering chambers that, that uh, altered them, that made them into what they are in the book, and basically programmed them with what with certain uh, goals that these other aliens had in mind for them. And obviously, as you can see from the cover, uh, they don't look like humans. That's the uh, on the cover is Darklaw, who's the one of the main characters in the book. He's Pteranodon. So you could you could clearly see uh, how he physically doesn't look, doesn't look like a human, but also uh, with that species specifically, they're basically created as a military force that the other aliens may or may not have wanted to use for their own purposes. But and for the purposes of this book, they have their own military agenda, and they're basically created with with that focus and with a very strict concept of following the orders of of their superior and of basically valuing um, martial quality over over most other things and of course but of course you have both between Darkla and some of the other Tyrannodon characters in the book they don't they aren't all the same they have their own uh, views on things although in this book although in this book they're more I guess uh not, they're not all this. They all have the same uh, ideology, but it's much closer. But later in later books in the series, which I'm writing the sequel right now, uh, due to events in this book, things start to diverge even more for them. And we get to, it's actually a lot of fun because I get to kind of create a species that is 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 also finding its own place in the uh, in the galactic setting, even as I'm um, creating them and deciding how things are going to work. All right, and I, I really like the name of that that species too. Thanks. Yeah, it was actually 
and some of my, my initial concepts of the of the story back over a decade ago when I first started writing what has become this book is uh, I got really fascinated with the concept of the dinosaur. I forget which paleontologist uh, put that theory. Basically, it was like a theory of what if or the uh, we believe to be the most intelligent dinosaur species had not gone extinct and had instead evolved and continue to exist today and how they would look and stuff like that. So I kind of based a lot of the initial concepts of Tyrannodonts on the, on the Troodon dinosaurs. And then eventually I decided I would make more sense to use my own name. And so I came up with, with Tyrannodonts and that's, and it sounded good. So that's what I stayed with. Okay. We've got some questions from the chat. So first of all, it definitely looks like you have a cat lady there. So what's your opinion of furries? Yes. Uh, well, furries in general, I don't know. I haven't really been involved. I've, I've just seen the general online shenanigans that involve both people who are as, who are furries themselves or people who who have, either talk about it or make fun of it on different occasions, depending on who is involved. And the alt-furry, I've seen people discussing that on Twitter. Uh, but I'm not, exact, I guess, I'm not exactly sure what it is 100%. I guess it's furries who are also politically on the right, I guess. It's a mystery. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks. So we have a few more. Uh, what's your favorite alien race in fiction? Uh, it's There are a lot that I like. Um, if I had to go, uh, I guess Instinct would go to either the, uh, the Quarians or, or the Turians from Mass Effect. Because even though Mass Effect kind of bothered me in that it still made humans the, basically the saviors of the galaxy and the main focus, but I would rather play an alien if I could. But those species, especially because we get main characters who are of those species who are present in all of the three original games, um, like those species, I think, really helped me figure out what qualities go with, like what, what you need to write a good uh, non-human species. Okay, and let's see, take one more. Looks like we have two more. Uh, so, just I'll get something out of the way really, really quick here. Yeah. Uh, Coriam asks about differences between writing non-human characters in science fiction and fantasy. Um, one, I'm pretty big on genre bashing, so I don't really recognize a hard and fast line yeah. between the genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually don't either. I actually. Yeah. deliberately actually want to mix them in my later books i'm working on stuff now and like part of my idea also is like well if there was if there were advanced aliens and they found like a fantasy planet why wouldn't they get involved and mess with things so good man so finally uh, can you think of any star trek books that deal well with non-humans and that may have inspired a greater duty um i, I don't know there's a lot of like mo I, over the like over my lifetime, most of like, I've read, read, I've watched more like, visual science fiction stuff, and actually have read. Um, so like, mo really most of my, I guess, inspiration for non-human characters came from stuff like Star Wars, Star Trek, Mass Effect. I think I listed Starcraft in a recent article, also. Uh, but also, I get, but also, I mean, fan fantasy does help also because fantasy does have non-human characters, even though they're often very close to human. But uh, there is room to, to mess with there. Like, in, I'm working actually editing it 
uh, Ben and I are actually working, Ben uh, is working on an epic fantasy with me right now that he's editing. Um, and the main character of that book is a dragon. And there are no humans in that world either. So, no, it's not only, dragons are not the only species. And they're not even the main species in the book, but the, the world itself doesn't have uh, humans. And the main character is, as I said, a dragon. So it's gonna, it's a lot of fun. All right, phenomenal. Well, we are out of time. Well, time, was, time does fly. Yeah, right, very quick. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. I would like to remind everyone to check out Yakov's yeah. blog. You can find it in the show notes yeah. below. Also, go and pick up a copy of A Greater Duty, available now from Amazon for Kindle. And as I last checked, it was under fifteen uh, in the top fifteen hundred of space opera. So it'd uh, be cool to see how far how far up we could we could get it. Okay, and while also you're the, at it, to, yeah. And also the paperback is that sh paperback version should be out within a few days. I actually just got the initial uh, file from from the folks over at Polgaris. Mm -hmm. So hopefully within the next couple of days that'll be finalized, and then as soon as I have it done, I'm going to get it up there. Very good. Yeah, it can take a couple extra days, but no, no worries. So that that'll be up there for you folks who like the Dead Tree editions. We we love you too. Um, if you're one of those who's already helped a greater duty to send up the Amazon charts, my award-winning SoulCycle series is also available in paperback and for ebook. So also make sure to double secret subscribe to GeekGab. We've got uh, GeekGab Prime, the show on the books, and uh, our co-host Dornall occasionally does very well-received RPG specials. So for Geek Heaven on the Books, this is Brian Niemeyer. And Here with our special guest. Yep, Yep, Merkin, friend of both shows. We will see you next time.